Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're excited to continue on our series on worship today. Uh, one of the things that I, I was thinking is, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes it's hard to worship. Sometimes we come in, we know, we know what we should do, but sometimes it's just hard to worship. I mean, it's like we know in our minds that we should be worshiping God. We know what the right thing to do is. But for whatever reason, it seems like we just can't get into that spot. You know, it's, it's hard to get to the point where we actually feel like we can surrender and worship God. There's something that seems to be pre- in between us and the Lord that prevents us from fully surrendering and fully worshiping to God. I don't know what Sunday mornings look like in your house, but I know there have been some Sunday mornings at the Diet house that have been absolutely brutal. Okay, you're trying to get ready for church. You know, it's, it's hard enough to wake up after a, you know, busy Saturday and then a long week. You know, it's hard enough to wake up on time. And then, you know, we've got, you know, five kids. So then you've got to get all five kids up and you've got to get them fed and you've got to get them bathed and you've got to get them dressed. In our house, we have one bathroom. And so you've got to get seven people through the bathroom where they can do their thing. And undoubtedly with all of our boys, one of them says, hey, dad, I got to go number two. And so they're going to go number two, and they're going to stink the bathroom up so everybody else has to deal with it, you know. And so, you know, you finally feel like you're, you're making progress, and then, and then you've got to look at your boys. They've got all these toys in their pockets, and they're like, well, I'm bringing these to church. I'm like, no, you're not. What are you bringing your iPod for? You're not going to play iPod during church. And, and so then you're dealing with that, and then the three-year-old spills milk all over the table, and you've got to clean that up. And, and, and it's, like, it's like World War Three on Sunday morning, you know. And so, you know, again, this is, we're supposed to be honest in the church. And there have been times when I'm driving to church on Sunday morning and I'm screaming, you be quiet, you stop doing that. And, you know, we're supposed to be ready for worship. And, and, it, and it's World War III in the van on, we're getting the, on the way to church. Ah, oh, Lord, forgive me. Maybe you, don't have, maybe you don't have little kids at home. You don't know what I'm talking about. But maybe you've got a teenager and it is like pulling teeth to get them to wake up for church. Or maybe you've got a spouse that is like pulling teeth to get them up for church. Whatever reason, there seems to be barriers to worship. And this goes beyond even just Sunday morning. This goes into life. There's times that we open up God's word, wanting to read from God's word, and it's just like words on a page. It's like, man, I don't, man, I can't get anything out of this. There's times when we know we should pray. We know we should pray to God. But for whatever reason, we just can't. We just can't do it. There's barriers that prevent us from worship. So we're going to look in John chapter 4 today. We're going to look in John chapter 4. And John chapter 4 is a spectacular chapter of the Bible because it deals with these two very specific things. It deals with worship and it deals with barriers to worship. Things that prevent us from worshiping. If you don't have a Bible and you like a Bible, we've got a couple ushers in the back who would love to put one of these in your hands. Let this be our gift to you. If you've got a phone, you can even get the Bible on your phone. So I don't care if you have a hand Bible or a phone Bible. Either way, we want you to have a Bible in your hands. We're going to look at John chapter 4. And we're going to see through this chapter what barriers Jesus reveals that prevent us from worshiping. Barriers to worship. We're also going to look at what Jesus says, uh, what Jesus teaches about worship, and we'll look at a few other things as well. Typically, when we're, we're coming here, we're going to read an entire passage of, uh, of Scripture first, and then we'll go uh, and talk about it. But we're going to read the passage as we teach on it today. So I'm not going to read it in the front, in the front load. We're going to just open up in prayer right now. So let's, uh, would you pray with me? 
God, you are good. You are awesome. Lord, we pray right now that you would help us to turn our eyes to you. That we could come and have this opportunity to open up your word and that you would speak to us, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't hear the pastor, but we'd hear your voice speaking to us. Lord, I pray that as we open up, that you would give us understanding, that you would draw our hearts to you, that you would allow us to put the distractions out of our mind so we can focus solely on you. And Lord, we thank you for filling this place with your spirit. And we ask this in your holy and perfect name. Amen. So where we are in John chapter 4, Jesus has been going around with his disciples. They're, They're going through the region called Samaria. And they've been walking for a while, and Jesus gets a little bit tired. And he says, you know, let's stop. Let's stop for a while. So Jesus stops, and he sits down at the well. And he tells his disciples, hey, you guys go into town. You guys go and get, get some lunch. Go to Jimmy John's and bring a sandwich back. You guys go into town again, and I'm going to have a seat, and I'm going to rest here at the well. So let's start reading in the end of, of verse 6. John chapter 4, verse 6. It says, it was about the sixth hour. This means that it was, it was noontime. It was, it, was, it, was, it was about noon. And it says, a woman came from Samaria to draw water. Okay, let's stop here. (laughs) There's already something to point out. See, this story is taking place in a hot and an arid climate, much like ours here in Yakima. And so when it gets to be noontime, when it gets into the early afternoon, you know the temperature is rising. You know it is warm. This is not the time that you want to be out working. This is not the time that you're going to want to be out and about. Um... And the, the reason that this is significant is because women in the first century, women of that day, they did not go to the well during noontime. They, that's not the time that they would go to the well. Okay? They would go to the well early in the morning before anything was really happening. See, they didn't have running water like we do. They didn't have the faucet and the sink that they could just go and get water whenever they wanted. No, it was something that they had to go to the well early in the morning. They had to fill buckets with water and bring it back to their house because that was their tea. That was their coffee. That was how they washed. That was how they cleaned. That was how they cooked. And so you wouldn't go to the well in the middle of the day. You'd go to the well early in the morning because you want to get that water for your house so you could use it for whatever purposes you had throughout the day. So drawing water would have been something that would have been done first in the morning. But for whatever reason, this woman goes to the well at noontime, and she meets Jesus. Let's continue in the the text. Verse 7, it says, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now to call the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, one of racial tensions, would have been an understatement. The Jews viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds, as, 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 as they, they, they were despised. They despised the Samaritans. Their relationship would have been likened to the racial tensions our country saw between the African Americans and, and the whites for 150 years from the Civil War up through the 1970s. So verse 10 says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. So here's how this played out. The woman comes to the well at noon all by herself. And Jesus, Jesus is there and Jesus says to her, he says, hey, give me, give, give me something to drink. Give me a drink. And the woman says, the woman says, why would you talk to me? I'm a Samaritan. There are racial issues here that say you shouldn't be talking to me. And he says, and, and, and she says, well, you're a man and I'm a woman. And there are social and cultural issues that prevent us from having this conversation together. Why are you speaking to me? And she says, and, and what are you going to, how are you going to give me a drink? You don't even have a cup, Jesus. You said you're going to give me this cup of living water, but you don't even have a cup, Jesus. How are you going to do this? So Jesus begins to outline the difference between drinking from a well that satisfies for a moment and a well that satisfies forever. He draws this sharp contrast between these two types of wells. And so the question that she has is, are you greater than Jacob? You know, Jacob drank from this well. His animals drank from this well. In fact, all of Israel was built by drinking from this well. Jesus, are you greater than that? And Jesus brings it back to contrasting these two types of wells. He points out the flaw in the well of Jacob. See, it doesn't work long term. That only satisfies for a moment. But then you have to come back and get more. And he says, my well, my well satisfies forever. See, this here is our first barrier of worship. The first barrier to worship is you're drinking from the wrong well. See, you're coming to the wrong well thinking, if we can just get another cup, we'll be satisfied. Everything will be good and gravy. I mean, if we can just get enough drink, if we can just get one more, we'll be satisfied, we'll be happy, we'll have all the pleasures of our heart, and life will be good, and and everything will be peachy keen, right? See, there are three common wells in our culture that we keep coming to again and again and again, thinking that if I drink from this, if this happens, then everything will be good, and everything in my life will be perfect despite the fact that they only lead us to be satisfied for a moment, and they leave us thirsting for more and more. The first wrong well that we drink from is money and comfort. We come to money and comfort and think, if I just get this, man, I'll be satisfied. Notice it's money and comfort. People don't just pile up money for the sake of piling up money. It's money and comfort. Let me say, new things are nice. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. I love new things. But the danger is new things can become intoxicating. You almost get a high from new stuff. I mean, this is why we go from trinket to toy to trinket to toy, from new thing to new thing to new thing to new thing. And we keep drawing from that well because it feels good for a moment. It feels good. The new clothes, the new house, the new car, the new toy, the new golf clubs, Whatever it is that you collect, you get it new and it satisfies for a moment and makes everything seem to be just right. But given time, it loses its luster. It loses its power and then it becomes time for something new. It becomes time for something new. The cell phone industry has absolutely dialed in on this idea. See, I have this perfectly good smartphone and I've had it for almost two years now. It does everything I need it to do. It works in good order. 
I can, I can work from it. I can play from it. I can do everything I want to do with it. But the problem is, Apple has already come out with a new model. And they're getting ready to come out with even a newer model. That means that my phone will be three models old. And there's not even a really big difference between what my phone does and what the new phone does. But you know what? I find myself sitting here trying to justify why I need the new model. (laughs) It's intoxicating. Yet so many of us have become inebriated with stuff. We think if I just get this, if I just get enough money, then I'll be satisfied and everything will be good. And this is the first wrong well that we go to over and over again. The second wrong well that we drink from is relationships and sex. Yes, we talk about sex in the church. (laughs) We are infatuated by those. In the same way as money and comfort aren't evil or wrong by themselves, relationships and sex aren't wrong. God created them. God created them in a beautiful way. They're beautiful gifts from God. But when we elevate them beyond what God created them for, you leave nothing to yourself but heartache and disappointment. See, sometimes we say, if I just find the perfect woman, if I just find the perfect man, I'll be satisfied, man. He'll fill, he'll complete me. Ladies, ladies, you will never find a man who completes you. You will never find a man who completes you because we are broken and fallen human beings. And the truth is, if you find a man who thought of, you find a man who thought of nothing but you, you found a man who romanced you well and who loved you well. Who, who had rose petals on the floor every time you came home, and six-pack abs, and always changed the baby's diaper. You know, if you had this man, you know what you'd end up doing? You'd, you'd say, why does he keep doing this thing with the rose petals? You'd say, you'd say does, he, does he not think I could do anything? Does he think I'm an idiot? Does he think I don't know how to change a diaper? And guess what? Ladies, you would begin to fantasize about the fat guy who hates you. <laughs> Because a man, (laughs) a man, a man is not going to satisfy what has gone wrong within you. A man will not satisfy what has gone wrong within you. Only Jesus can do that. Men, it's the same thing. We could have a lot of fun talking about the men, you know. Men, it's the same thing. You know, that perfect woman, she will not satisfy you. It doesn't matter if she watches football with you. It doesn't matter if she keeps the kids out of your hair and she's the greatest cook. A woman will not complete you. Because over time, men, you'll begin to fantasize about some other woman because your heart is broken. A woman cannot fix it. Only Jesus can fix what's gone wrong inside of us. The third wrong well that we run to is respect and success. See, we want approval. We want acceptance. We want people to look at us and be happy with what they see. Well, the thing is, that little pat on the back from somebody else, from a man, it's so fleeting. Because one moment they're going to pat you on the back, and as soon as you turn around, they're going to start talking behind your back. And then the knives come out. And, and, and just as quickly as they patted you on the back, just as quickly they can stab you in the back. You see, what more affirmation do you need than the affirmation found at the cross of Jesus Christ? See how silly it is that we seek a man's little good job, little buddy, compared to the fact that God, knowing you, knowing your motivations, died on the cross for you. 
You can have shady and sinful and wicked motives that lead you to righteous acts in order to get approval of men. All the while, you still have a wicked heart. But God knows your wicked heart. God knows your evil intentions. And still, Jesus dies for you on the cross. What more approval could we seek than the cross of Jesus Christ? Your approval comes from the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, not from what men and women think about you. See, we become consumed with what men and women think about us. You know what they call that? That's slavery. That is slavery. Not to mention the fact that no matter what, somebody's always going to dislike you. Somebody always is going to dislike you. And if not, it's probably because you're a sellout. You're probably a spineless worm. In fact, Jesus warns people. He, 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 he warns people and says, hey, be nervous if everybody loves you. He says, they persecuted me. And they persecuted the prophets. And this is what happens when you make a stand. People get angry. So as Christians, we need to be prepared for that. So these are the three wrong wells that we commonly go to. We drink from these wrong wells thinking, man, man, if I just had this, I'd be set. I'd be satisfied. I'd experience true joy and happiness. In the Old Testament, there's two stories that are vital to our understanding. The first story is in the book of Job about a guy named Job. Job had everything. He was rich. He had a beautiful wife and a great family. He had respect. He had all these different things. And guess what happened? They were all taken away from him. He lost everything. Success, money, his family. He loses everything. Yet he finds that God is enough even when you lose everything. God is enough even when you lose everything. Then in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a story about this guy named Solomon. Now Solomon is the opposite. Solomon gets everything. Solomon gets everything, and then he writes this book of Ecclesiastes to say, hey, it doesn't work. I mean, Solomon says, I had 300 wives. I had 300 wives. A lot of relationships. Okay? He had 300 wives. He says, I built houses for every one of my wives. He said, I built God's, God's temple. I built a mansion for myself. He says, I, uh, he says I, I've owned ranches and vacations homes. He said, I've thrown parties that people write songs and sing about because they're that good. He says, I've had it all. And he comes to this book of Ecclesiastes and he says it's meaningless. It is all meaningless. So you and I, we will probably never be as low as Job or we'll never be as high as Solomon. We're stuck between these two men trying to figure out what will bring us satisfaction, what will bring us joy, what will give meaning to our life. And we will always have something more to pursue, something new to get, some new hope that we're cranking out of this well, thinking if I, if I, if I get this, man, this will be, be the life. See, if we would just listen to Solomon, it's not going to work. The only well that we eternally satisfy us, the only well that we can drink from and experience true joy and true satisfaction is Jesus Christ. We got to stop going to the wrong wells thinking, man, if I get this, this is going to make me complete because it won't. The only well that will satisfy us is Jesus Christ. Let's look at, the, let's look at what comes next in verse 16. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, he said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you were with now is not your husband. 
what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. See, I love this interaction. Because Jesus now, he exposes this woman. The first barrier is that she was digging in the wrong well. She's trying to get, out, trying to get life out of the wrong well. And here comes the second barrier. Jesus says, go and get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now, you're sleeping with for, for rent money. You're sleeping with so you could have your rent paid for. So what you've said is true, you don't have a husband. Now notice that there is no condemnation in what Jesus says to her. He simply spits out the facts of her life for her. You see, the second barrier to our worship, the second barrier to worship is unrepentant and unconfessed sin. Do you know why she's out at the well at noon? See, in their culture, adultery was a capital offense. There's a story of the Bible about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees dragged this woman who, who, who was caught in the act. And they threw her at the feet of Jesus. And they said, Mosaic law says she should be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus stops from it in. Starts drawing in the sand. And he says, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. And slowly, every one of the Pharisees from the oldest to the youngest started walking away. Because none of them were, out, were, were without sin. This story shows the severity of the way that they viewed adultery. This woman is in shame. She's hiding from a culture that views her as unclean. That's why she came to the well at noon, because nobody else is going to be there to judge her. She came to the well at noon because she knew where she stood in culture. And Jesus addresses it. Jesus addresses her sin. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband, but you've had five, and the guy that you're living with now isn't even your man. See, if you are a Christian, unrepentant and unconfessed sin will not separate you from the love of Christ, but it will absolutely affect your ability to worship. It will absolutely affect your ability to worship Jesus Christ as King. It will absolutely affect your nearness to God. It will affect your awareness of the presence of God and your ability to hear and to learn deeply and to experience His joy in your life. It doesn't have to be a huge sin like this woman at the well. You can have unconfessed sin that it may be, it may be a lying in your heart. It may be gossip. It may be, it may be having bad thoughts. But that unconfessed, unrepentant sin will prevent us from fully worshiping God. It will prevent us from, from, from surrendering to who He is. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin is a barrier that keeps us from worshiping God as we should. There's one more barrier in this text. So let's keep reading in verse 19. Starting in verse 19. It says, Sir, I have perceived that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, say that in but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation it's from the Jews. See, here's a third barrier to worship for us. The third barrier to worship is a simple one. It's ignorance. Third barrier to worship is ignorance. You can't worship what you don't know. And unfortunately, we live in a culture uh, that has given us permission to create our own gods in our own minds. 
and, and has given us permission to worship a God of our own creation. See, most of us, we open up the Bible, and we find the God of the Bible, we say, you know, he's just a little bit too edgy. You know, he's just, he's a little too rough around the edges. So we want to create our own God. We want to we wanna shy away from all that wrath stuff. We want to shy away from God being angry towards sinners. Because, you know, that just doesn't fly in our culture today. You know, everybody wants a, a good happiness. You know, that just doesn't work in our culture. So we're going to begin to change God, and we're going to make God fit what we want him to be and what will be a little bit more politically correct in our culture. Really, what we're trying to do is give Jesus an extreme makeover. Trying to make him just a little bit more friendly, a little bit more edgy, a, a little bit more whiter, a little bit more white middle class. Give him a little bit happier disposition. You see, he's not going to flip over tables anymore. No, he's not going to do that. He's not going to call sin people out for sin anymore. No, he's not going to do that. No, he's going to be more like a masculine tinkerbell. I mean, that's the kind of God that we want, right? Just a real masculine tinkerbell. And then if we, if, if we can make God that, then people will really love Jesus. But see, the problem is if, is if you follow modern Christianity, you look around the world around us, and you see churches that are dying you see, churches that are dying as they begin to surrender and give up on aspects of God. You strip him of his deity. You strip him of his authority. You strip Jesus of his power. And then you wonder why people don't worship. See, the God of the Bible is scary. Absolutely. He's beyond terrifying. The Bible tells us in Luke that upon his return, men will cry out for mountains to fall on them. Well, there won't be any mountains to fall on them. That's terror. That is the God of the Bible. So what has happened is we've been allowed to create in our own minds our own little version of Jesus that we worship. And worship always suffers when, we, when man is exalted and God is belittled. We talked about last week about true worship. True worship means we see God for who he truly is. We see him in all of his majesty and all of his holiness. I mean, that is an aspect for us to worship is we must see him for who he truly is. We also talked last week about when we see God for who he truly is, that we begin to see ourselves for who we truly are. Rebellious, wicked sinners. See, there's nothing that God doesn't know. There's nothing that God doesn't see about our lives. This woman at the well, she doesn't have any secrets. Secrecy is a myth. God knows it all. He knows all of our secret stuff that we hope is hidden. And yet God still extends mercy and grace to every one of us through the cross. See, true worship is a response to who God is and to what he has done. And it's at that place, it's at that place where we see God for who he is, when we see ourselves for who we are, and we see what God has done for us, it is at that place that our worship can explode into ways we've never seen. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. It says, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See, what Jesus is saying here is that God is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. He's seeking us to worship him with inflamed hearts and informed minds. And he's saying these two, these two inflamed hearts and informed minds, they feed off of each other. See, what I've come to realize is people are all wired differently with different personalities. Some of you are more intellectual. You want a theological grid. 
You, you want to you know how God works. You want to you wanna, you wanna flow chart to say, this is who God is. This is where I fit. And this is how things work. And this is how I'm supposed to live. You are intellectual. And you want to come to an understanding of how the God works in that way. You tend to look at affections as the enemy. You're not prone to emotions. You say, well, we just need the truth. And if we could just listen to the truth and buy into the truth, then we, everything would be good and gravy. But then there are other people who are saying, are you kidding? Why do you read so much? Why, why can't we just sing and pray and hold hands and cry and laugh? Isn't that all we need to do? I mean, that's all we should be doing. Your theology is cold and your theology is dead. You always talked about doctrine, and that's the problem. See, if we could just sing Kumbaya, my Lord, while holding hands, then everything would be good, and we'd love Jesus with our hearts, and, and it would be great. But Jesus is saying, no. God wants us to worship in both spirit and truth. We have an informed mind in truth through the revealed word of God. And then the Spirit's presence in our lives, it inflames our heart that allows us to worship him in spirit. See, these truths, an inflamed heart and informed mind, they aren't at odds. They're not fighting against each other. The inflamed heart creates the energy for the growing mind. So God is seeking us to worship him with inflamed hearts and informed minds. Jesus next says in verse 20, or the text says in verse 25, it says, The woman said to him, he said, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am that guy. I am he. So he just unpacks and he says, here are your barriers to worship. He says, here's the wrong wells that you're drinking from. He says, here's how you are supposed to worship in spirit and truth. And her response is, well, the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain this all. He's going to unpack this so I understand. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's just what happened. That's what just happened. He says, I just sorted it out. I figured this all out for us. And look at her response in verse 27. Or look what happened next. Verse 27 says, Just then the disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But nobody said, What do you seek, or why were you talking to her? So the woman left with the water and went into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. See, do you see this immediate change in her? Here, she'd been avoiding the hostilities of the men and the women in town. She was avoiding them because of the judgment that they were going to extend to her. She meets Jesus. Jesus exposes her sin in a compassionate and forgiving way. And she's reborn. And now she's running into town saying, you've got to hear this guy. You've got to come and see this Jesus. You've got to come uh, and let him tell you what he's told me. See, he told me everything about me, and you've got to come and check this out. You see the difference in her? The transformation? Verse 31 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. So the disciples said one to another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, just, just as Jesus at the well, just as the woman at the well, she didn't quite get what was going on. She needed Jesus to explain for her that she was digging in the wrong well, that she had some sin that needed to be repented of. 
and that she had some ignorance that needed cleaning up. You see, the disciples are talking about lunch. And Jesus is saying, dude, there's so much more going on than just lunch. There's so much happening here beyond just lunch. See, if you're here today and you're the mature Christian, you're the churchman, let me say this to you. Don't let the task overtake the task giver. We do the task because of the task giver. Not for the task's sake, but because of love of the task giver. Jesus here, he's unpacking the gospel for the disciples right here. See, just as the woman with the five husbands, she needed Jesus to come and unpack the gospel for her. These disciples who are following Jesus, they need the gospel as well. They need Jesus to unpack it and say, you know what? It's not about lunch. There's so much more going on than just lunch. It's not about the task. It's not about the the rules. It's not about the, the religion. It's about Jesus Christ and salvation through him. And Jesus said, there's so much more going on than just lunch. We've got to stop worrying about lunch. We've got to focus on, on, on kingdom things. <laughs> I've said this a few times here already here at Restoration. That we as Christians need the gospel just as much as unbelievers. The gospel doesn't just save us, but it, sustain, it sustains us. And it carries us all the way home. So let's finish with, with one more verse. Verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. It says, many believed because of her testimony. This is multiplication. This is God's kingdom growing and expanding. The woman at the well, she believed, and then she went to town. She told the townspeople what had happened, and she brought them to Jesus. God used her. God used this woman, who we don't even have a name for. She doesn't have a name in the Bible. She's just known as the woman at the well. God used her to grow his kingdom in a simple method that we talked about a couple weeks ago. We talked a couple weeks ago about how God sends us on mission with the same, same method to go into our community. To tell them about Jesus and what he's done in our lives. And then the, to bring people to Jesus. And she does the same method. How are you doing in this? You know, a couple weeks ago, we said, let's be intentional about seeing God grow his kingdom. And we said, let's take a, a, a note card and let's write three names of people that we want to be praying for and that we want to go to. We want to tell them about what Jesus has done in all of our lives. And then we want to bring them to church. How are you doing with that? I love because we, we think, well, God can't use somebody like me. God used this woman at the well who had a terrible testimony who had just trusted Christ. And God used her to go into the town to tell the townspeople about Jesus. And she brought them to him. And it says that many believed. God's kingdom expanded because of this woman's faith. As we go, as we tell, as we bring people to Jesus, God is glorified and his kingdom is expanded. As the worship team comes forward, I want to ask you, do you have any barriers that are preventing you from worshiping God? Are you digging at the wrong well? Are you digging at the wrong well? You know how you answer that question is this. What are you really after? What do you lay in bed at night? What do you lay in bed at night thinking about? 
What are you chasing? What are you thinking? If, I, if this just happened to me, man, life would be good and it would be easy and things would be accomplished. What well are you drinking from? What's that thing you're chasing? Maybe you're a student. You're chasing graduate. Man, if I could just graduate, life would be good. If I could just get there, life would be done. Maybe you're single. And you're thinking maybe it's a spouse. Man, if I could just find that man or that woman that to complete me, ah, life would be gravy. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a house. What are you really after? What are you digging in? What is your pursuit? Or is your pursuit, is your desire to know him, to worship him, to make much of him? Because if you're pulling up from the, the bucket from the wrong well, it doesn't really matter what's in it. It's not going to satisfy. It's going to leave you hungry for more. Only Jesus will satisfy. Do you have unrepentant and unconfessed sin in your life? Then you know that the joy of worship was not going to be in you. Because the joy of worship occurs when we're honest about our shortcomings. When we get under the waterfall of God's grace. To know you're guilty and to find out that you're forgiven is unbelievable power that releases us to worship God in completely new ways. Maybe you're just ignorant. And I don't mean that cruelly. I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean, there have been a lot of places that don't teach much about the nature and character of God that this book tells us about. You do fall short, and God has extended grace to you in Jesus Christ so that he can be glorified in saving and fixing what is broken. Do you have barriers to worship? Can I plead with you today to confess and repent? Maybe that involves having a conversation with somebody you know. Maybe that involves you coming forward and talking to one of the men or women who will be standing up in these front rows. They're here just for that. They're here to talk about overcoming your barriers. They're here to talk about your struggles, talk about the weight that you carry, talk about taking your faith to the next level. Maybe today you need to come forward and say, I'm ready to do that. Help me do this. But I want to plead with you to do business the Spirit of God today so you can worship as you were created to worship. I want to encourage you to worship and to worship rightly to your own joy. I want to ask you to quit drinking from the wrong well. Quit drinking sand and drink water that will